my wife and I got into a bit of a discussion because she seems to think that Germans like to put pickles in their Christmas trees. That's a new one for me. It's a new one for me too. And I'm from German family and the Germans that I've consulted with, we all agree that that's not a thing. Germans don't put pickles in their trees. Just cucumbers. It kind of got me thinking about different types of holiday traditions from around the world. Have you heard of Krampus? Like a different type of Santa? They're the bad Santas. I guess the ones that would bring coal all the time. But apparently in Austria, people dress up in the month of December in these very kind of hideous costumes to try to scare children. Well, that's that's healthy. In Japan, apparently, they like to promote Kentucky for Christmas which is a celebration of Kentucky Fried Chicken that you eat at Christmas time. Apparently, that's a big thing. They even dress up Colonel Sanders in Santa outfits. Oh, boy. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 253. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm over here celebrating my own unique Christmas traditions by podcasting with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm all for like, hey, as a family, let's let's build some new traditions with our kids or whatever. That's all fine. But like they didn't even pick good ones. (laughs) All right. Well, that's that's neither here nor there. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But we we welcome you one and all. Uh, Thanks again for for tuning in. If you're if you're coming back. uh, Thank you. Uh, for being a loyal listener. If this is your first time, welcome. You're listening to Touchpoint, the podcast, part of the Touchpoint Media Network. You can find out more about both this show and the network as a whole over at touchpoint.health. You can check out certainly the show notes for the, the episode you're listening to today. Maybe dive in and explore some recent episodes. You can do all kinds of fun stuff over there, including check out other shows, show hosts, and, and all that. While you're there, one favor, You'll notice up in the top navigation, there's something called the TPS report. That is a weekly email. It comes out each and every Monday morning, minus a few holidays here and there. But it's just a simple email, five articles to start your week. Uh, that's really all that we use your email address for. We promise not to try to sell you anything this time of year, get you to sign up for anything else or sell the list. We'd love it if you'd sign up for the TPS report. We'll kick out that email uh, every Monday for to get your week started and certainly rate, review, subscribe where you have to be listening. And uh, we'll take a quick pause here and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, 
and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, I think today's topic is going to be really interesting for us to get into because it's something that we don't, we haven't normally talked about on our show. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've mentioned a lot through the years, this becoming harder and harder to really delineate where different departments or different functions of the organization maybe start and stop, right? Like it used to be, you know, our example was always like folks in IT did IT, folks in the quality department, that's what they did. Us over in marketing communications, i.e. advertising, that's what we did, maybe some community relations, things like that. But now it's getting harder and harder to really understand where the line starts and stops. And I think this is an interesting topic that kind of speaks to that, right? So we talk a lot about experience. We talk a lot about customer experience. We call it patient experience from some years ago. But really, you know, if we think about it, our role as marketing communications individuals and departments is sometimes to champion the experience, the consumer experience, right? And that's becoming more and more. And we've talked a lot about that on the digital side, et cetera. But really, if we think about it, you know, what does operations mean to that? And you've heard a lot of people through the years say, don't market a bad experience. That's what I kind of thought about as we were, as we were kind of planning and thinking about this episode. And we've got an interesting interview coming up later, but thought we could spend a minute just looking at certainly what the last 20 months or so is, is done to operations and to experience, but kind of how all this weaves together. When we talk about experience, Reed, in this particular case, we found a, an article that talks about the impact of the pandemic on contact centers, because a lot of times the contact center is where it kind of starts. Obviously, contact centers are busy far beyond capacity. I think most health systems that I talk to, including our own that I work for, are finding that there's so much demand for people wanting to uh, to talk to us to figure out where their care is, and particularly around the shifting different modalities of care, like telehealth at the beginning, and then now return to care and all of that. And so there was a survey that was done recently to discover the impact that the pandemic had on customer operations. And not surprisingly, this was focused a lot on the contact center. It's something you mentioned there that you know they're far beyond capacity. So again, I think this speaks to this idea that people are wanting and, and expecting, like we've talked about, expecting this because this is what's in the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. They want to interact with us. And I mean, this goes well above just picking up the phone and calling, right? It's about like being able to connect with them in multiple different channels. But interestingly enough, one of the findings they found is that channels such as social or messaging apps gained importance as the pandemic pandemic put pressure on uh, providers to update information constantly. I think that is not a surprise, right? This kind of aligns with just the rest of society spending more time on these messaging apps. Yeah. What else are you supposed to spend your day doing? But when it comes to improving the level of customer satisfaction or CSAT, social channels were at the bottom of the pack when it came to delivering good experiences. So that's an interesting nuance there. There's been a rush to using the technology, but it's really having hard to measure impact on customer satisfaction. Well, I think that goes back to our earlier statement of, you know, operations impact on this. 
social channels, if that's where they expect you to be, you've got to figure out how to operate in that in that way. And that's not something that we've you know historically thought about from a customer service standpoint. You know, another thing they call out in here, uh, proactive customer care is also a top priority. And they say essential for healthcare organizations. Patients want much more control managing their health. And if we can proactively assist them, that's a good thing, right? That's what they're looking for. Right. But don't mistake what we're saying as, well, let's just build them an app and it'll be much better. (laughs) That's not exactly what this means. It's like we want to give them the tools they need to stay healthy and thrive. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a digital health tool. I had a conversation about this last week with some colleagues about digital health in and of itself can provide a lot of inequity among our patients, if you think about it. Some people don't have access to some of these tools. So you have to think about what you could do to help them in multiple different channels here. And then I think one last finding that might be interesting for us to kind of hit this whole work at home model, because, you know, most customer contact centers, people have been working at home. They also found in this survey that more than half of the healthcare executives that responded to the survey report that working from home actually increased productivity. Well, how about that? 75% of organizations are going to maintain or increase the number of remote agents staffed during the pandemic for the future state. It's interesting. So we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. There's obviously other findings in there, but just thought it was an interesting way to kind of set the stage. You know, I think along these lines, you know, something as I was kind of looking at this topic, a term that I'm not going to say I've never heard the term, but I, again, it's not something I hear very often, certainly, and had to kind of pause for a second. But it's all out of a, a Deloitte article uh, that we'll, we'll post in, a, I think it was even a one-pager, actually, customer operations. And I was like, wait a minute, what now? But they talk about this as the functions that directly engage the customers, such as sales or service. You know, and a lot of times they say are, are undervalued as parts of the business. As you look at what the opportunity is, and we look at how operations impacts experience, I think this is interesting, right? So we think about sales and service of of those kind of those interactions that we're having, but how much time are we really thinking about that? And what does that look like to the organization? You know, what's interesting too, is that marketing is kind of probably wrapped into that as well, right? Because they say sales and service, but marketing is a component of that because it either drives sales or it drives service, which really speaks to sort of that fundamental misunderstanding of the importance of what customer operations looks like. They outline five ways, Reed, that organizations can start to help improve their customer operations, even while struggling with sort of that misunderstanding. Yeah, the first thing they they talk about is a shift in mindset, and I think we heard that even earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago in the or, you know, in in that previous article. But you know, developing a clear understanding of the role of customer operations and, and kind of what that is, highlighting the importance that a positive customer interaction has, what what that what that has on the organization, the reputation, the bottom line, things like that, is important. So again, first thing they point out is a shift in mindset. Ooh, and customer experience metrics almost, right? Like bringing those into play, even starting to understand and measure what that impact may have. Of course, reputation and bottom line are two separate ways to measure the impact, but that's interesting. Here's the second one they they outline. Consider the customer's perspective 
hmm, bring forward the customer's mindset into your customer operations. That makes a lot of sense when you talk about it. Yeah. They, They say what's easy and efficient for your staff may be difficult and frustrating for your customers. And so therefore, you have to take into account the customer experience when designing and implementing any kind of new processes or protocols. Huh. How about that? Imagine that. Third on the list, uh, and this probably goes for a lot of things, kind of as you make your way through your day, right? But it's to look outside of our own industry. So you may be thinking you're doing it well. Uh, Chances are uh, you probably don't think you have it all buttoned up. But even if you do, there is always someone doing it better. So where is that? What does it look like? You know, certainly there are some level of industry-specific requirements that have to be taken into account. But I think what we can learn from some of the other industries, we've talked about some of those that may be a little bit uh, analogous to healthcare, things like hospitality, for example. I think there's different ways that you can look at what they're doing and be able to pull some interesting ideas and, and things that you might want to try. I remember when we first got into the space, Reed, we were talking about like, compare yourselves to Amazon and Zappos. But the, right. the intent there is not, it's not the, that we have the same business model, right? But it's the fact that other industries have looked at customer operations in a different way. Here's one that I like, right? Number four uh, finding is technology isn't the only solution. As I mentioned before, right? It's not just an app. When properly enabled, technology is great. It could do some awesome things, can make that whole customer operations that much better, that much more seamless. And remember, technology is not only technology for the for the customers to use, but also technology for your customer operations team to use to be more efficient, right? So there's two types of technology we're talking about, inside and outside technology. But technology on its own is not enough. You have to combine it with the right business processes and operating models in order to make the most out of it. It's again, like I said, right? It's not just turning on an app. You have to build the entire experience in a seamless way. Last thing real quick before we, we take a quick pause. The last thing they point out is focus on value. They say when done correctly, customer operations provides value to the business and the customer, right? So once you've determined the course of action, pay close attention, they say, to your operations and the outside feedback that you're getting and make those adjustments, you know, be nimble. I think this goes back to that shift in mindset, you know, people understanding exactly what this means for the business, but you want to be sure that you're delivering the best services possible and you want to be efficient in doing so. So again, focus on the ultimate value of doing this. Well, Reed, those are, I think those are some really good high-level tips to improve your customer operations. But why don't we do this? After the break, we'll come back and we'll talk about the role that customer operations has in healthcare. And we'll bring up some specific things that organizations can do, healthcare organizations can do, to deliver the best-in-class patient experience. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. 
All right, so we've talked a little bit about this term customer operations before the break. And so now we're going to look actually at an article that uh, was in Becker's recently, and it's titled The Critical Role of Customer Operations in Healthcare, What Leading Organizations Do to Deliver Best-in-Class Patient Experience. And so uh, we'll link to this, but we're going to touch on these five uh, points. And I think it was some really interesting feedback from folks around the industry. So the first one, Healthcare organizations increasingly view patients as customers. A byproduct of consumerism is viewing the patient as a customer. Customer operations is, quote, a healthcare organization synchronizing activities in service part of the business, so i.e. customer service, and the back office, including appointments, uh, you know, and et cetera, insurance coverage, uh, all those kinds of fun things. What do you think about that? Healthcare organizations increasingly viewing patients as customers. I remember when we first surfaced this idea, oh, many years ago, Reed, you and I were talking about this probably 10 years ago. There was a big backlash within organizations. Patients are patients. They're a lot different than customers. I think the, the appetite is greater now to think about consumerism and a, a kind of a customer mindset around the patients, because quite frankly, those expectations are coming into the ex- healthcare experience, whether we want them or not. So we have to be aware of that. That's why telemedicine took off so quickly during the pandemic. That's why online appointment scheduling is like a must-have for organizations now. Okay, so here's the second one. Uh, healthcare organizations often have silos with differing goals. So it's common for that environment. And those lack of shared objectives across service and back office stakeholders causes a lot of things that go wrong. Poor communication, inefficiencies, stakeholders perceiving themselves as having different customers or different customer expectations. So one of the things that they say, you know, that they say is you have to now start to align to ensure that your back office is really delivering critical support for what the front office is doing or what the customer wants, right? We all have to align around a shared goal. And I think that becomes really, really increasingly hard, but one where marketing can play a significant role. Like I said earlier in the show, it's really hard to delineate, you know, where some of the roles within the organization starts and stops because everyone has to be focused on the consumer. I think that's the crux of this, right? is that organizations often have silos with different goals. Well, everybody's still focused on the consumer though, right? And so I think it, it has to do with the leaders in those areas, making sure that they're aligned and certainly that, you know, marketing communications uh, becoming kind of that focal point or that you know, tip of the spear, if you will, for where, you know, consumers interact with an organization. Third thing listed here, many of the challenges organizations face can be addressed through improved customer operations. So they say improved customer operations require shared goals and objectives like we just talked about, such as improving the patient experience and greater collaboration, improved uh, communications, optimized workflows, all that kind of stuff ties everything together. So it's kind of building off that last point. But with workflows, they say an organization can automate some of the processes. I, you know, I think automate is, is dangerous a little bit. I don't think that means exactly what we want it to mean uh, in healthcare. I, there's still the human uh, touch that has to kind of be in there, I think. 
One of the things that I found to be really helpful and beneficial in doing this, and it's, uh, again, with any type of project that you're trying to solve or any kind of problem you're trying to solve, is actually map out the customer journey and have multiple people in there mapping out the customer journey. I've been involved in these exercises where I'm mapping it out from a digital perspective. I'm mapping it out from like what happens when they come to through search to our website to then, you know, selecting a provider perhaps, and even, you know, all the things that they look for in order to make their selection. And then at the point that they, they make that selection, then you involve your customer operations team or your call centers, and maybe even the people in charge of online appointment scheduling and have them map out what that experience looks like. And then even go further, map it out like once that customer makes that appointment, all the calls they make to that practice before they show up, et cetera. Like if you start to do that, you start to develop a more 360 degree view, right, of your customer and what their needs are and where their frustration points are. And it can highlight some interesting opportunities. And spoiler alert, a lot of that automation can happen between when it goes from one department to another department in, a, in, in our siloed organization. Fourth thing that they call out here, Reed, is that healthcare organizations with best-in-class customer operations achieve greater patient satisfaction and improved operating margins. Seems to make sense, right? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> they say here, though, that if you focus on improved productivity and higher first-touch resolution of customer problems, you could be considered a top-performing organization. And that leads to operational efficiency, improved patient trust, cost reduction, and revenue growth. So how about that? But it sounds really easy, but it's that's probably very difficult to do, don't you think? Well, no. I mean, you just fix it the first time. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously with efficiency, whatever that efficiency is, you know, comes savings or growth or or whatever it may be. So this all makes sense, certainly. And I think patient satisfaction is a big thing. You know, we talked a lot about loyalty and preference and some of those types of things on previous episodes. But I think this is where, you know, again, I'm not going to get into the loyalty piece of this, but this is where preference starts to, to build, I think. The fifth piece here, and it's got a couple of couple of subpoints we'll kind of go through, uh, but the fifth, the fifth uh, finding they call out is several customer operation actions are important when delivering the best patient experience. So here's kind of what everybody they interviewed in the article, you know, talked about, right? So we'll kind of go through these. So the first, the first thing they call out is regular audits to identify problem points and process efficiencies. So I think that's really important, certainly, with anything that you're doing, is to continue that kind of that wellness check in what you're doing, whether that's feedback from the folks working there, certainly the patient and consumer feedback is important, but certainly audits to you know try to kind of surface any key themes. Regular audits too, right? It's not a one and done, right? You have to constantly check in because customers' expectations change. They also say here that quality assurance to understand how well the organization is meeting regulatory standards is an important aspect here too. So you have to make sure that not only are you making the customer experience better, but you have to do QA to ensure you're meeting regulatory standards too. And that could extend to things like the way we are handling patient data, the way we are communicating with them, the type of information that we're sharing at various different touch points in the process. A third piece of advice, if you will, that they uh, they brought out here uh, talks a lot about workflows and the need to be flexible. Business conditions and market conditions, things like that will continue to change. And their point here being is that 
you need workflows, but they have to be flexible to adapt to those kind of market conditions. Which leads really into the next point about real-time management of activities to address those expectations. So not only do your workflows have to be agile, but you have to do real-time management of all the things that you're doing to ensure that you could turn on the dime. Gosh, if anything, I'm learning over the last couple of, you know, 20 months or so is that things can change dramatically. We're, you know, we're heading towards like, oh, maybe return to care. And then all of a sudden Omicron is here. And now we're back to how do we ramp up our telemedicine approaches? This speaks to that real-time management of activities. The real-time piece is, is tough for folks. But I think it all kind of culminates in this last piece talking about digital transformation you know, they talk about the automation, even automating uh, portions of customer operations, the real time, the flexible, you know, some of these kind of, it all builds to this idea of collecting and using data, improving the process, the experience, but the automation piece of this, I think is, is going to be tough. So I think looking for ways that while staying flexible, that you can gain some efficiencies through you know, whether that be the workflow or, you know, things that you could potentially, and I don't mean automate using technology. I mean, maybe, but, you know, that you can really kind of put some standards in place and that efficiency continues to build. All of these things kind of build on one another, Reed. It, we're, it seems very, like, very simplified. All the things that we're recommending here is like, here's all you need to do is build a plan and right. start to measure and add automation. It's going to take time. And and honestly, what I found in my experience the best way to approach this is figure out where those high value segments need to be improved. So focus, mm-hmm. you got to take almost like a surgical approach to how you improve your customer operations. So let's say you're improving access, for example, so if that's one of your strategies, find out where the best opportunity is for the customer and for you to improve that. And a lot of that is built on understanding and measuring what your current workflows are, and then being able to then identify where those opportunities might be. Again, starting with, uh, like we mentioned, the audits, the regular audits, as you mentioned, I think is a great place to start. So just understanding where you are before you really start defining where you need to be uh, is certainly the way to start. All right. Well, uh, interesting topic. And I think we've got an interesting interview queued up that kind of leads into this. I was lucky enough here recently to talk to Chris Wickersham of Seracore. Seracore is a, a company that uh, works with healthcare organizations around the help desk and other kind of outsourced IT operations, so things like patient portal. I had a chance to sit down uh, with Chris, a different Chris, recently and talk about kind of what they're seeing in the industry and also, you know, potentially if you're looking for a partner, you know, what to look for. So let's uh, pause here for just a minute and then we'll be back uh, with my conversation with Chris Wickersham. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Today, I am fortunate to be joined by Chris Wickersham of Sarah Core. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's interesting. I think uh, as we have seen, I feel like Chris and I have said this for like months now. We keep talking about the last, eight, you know, well, in the last six months and then the last year and the last 18, you know, it just kind of keeps growing. But since the pandemic started, I guess, and we've we've had workforce go home, right? We've had the increased utilization of virtual care and telehealth and some of those types of things. It just seems to me that whether it's digital or technology or kind of however you want to encompass that whole world, the focal point has really moved in that direction probably pretty uh, pretty extensively. And so I'd love to hear a little bit of your background, uh, kind of what you guys are doing, what you're working on, and then uh, I've got a couple of things we'll, we'll jump into here. Yeah, absolutely. So Seracor provides uh, IT outsourcing services to all healthcare entities around the country. My role specifically, I, I oversee our tier one service desk operation, as well as our identity access management creation and service line that we provide to customers as well too. So the pandemic in itself has had quite a few changes and ways that we had to evolve in order to best support our customers and the patient experience. It's been a fun ride, something that we've had to adapt to. We really think that this pandemic really pushed forward a change that was going to happen inevitably anyway. So it's been really exciting to just kind of be on that ride and and work through that transformation. I I think you're exactly right. And you you said a word in there that I think, you know, is an interesting place to kind of start with because it's maybe not as obvious to some folks, but it's patient experience, right? Like you don't hear, or historically, I guess, I've been doing... I've been on the high, in the hospital world since uh, the, the early 2000s, and patient experience was something very different. You know, I was actually a patient experience initiative champion at my hospital that I was at, right? And so this is all about what happened inside the, the brick and mortar, and it was a lot of, and still is, you know, it's like, how do you enter a patient room? How do you talk, you know, how do you communicate? And it still is a lot of those things, but I don't think we've thought about the idea of, of technology or IT being involved in the patient experience. It's is that, is that fair? Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's that's a great point and something that's really the forgotten piece of of that entire patient care continuum. I mean, technology today is really at the epicenter of everything that happens within patient care. Everything runs through a computer one way or another. So much so that if there's you know network connectivity or network outage at a hospital, operations almost stop. You know, I mean, everybody has their downtime procedures, but when you get into that norm of going into your PC and placing an order or checking the vitals or, or, you know, looking at an allergy interaction between a medication and a a particular patient, it really has that impact to, to cripple an organization for an extended period of time. Certainly in recent years, I've heard a lot about the, like the ransomware and cybersecurity related fields as far as like crippling an organization. But you know, I can remember not too long ago having a conversation with with a close friend that's a CIO at a large uh, healthcare system, and him talking about you know the early days of his job. You know, you're managing the help desk and upgrading operating systems and the new Microsoft release and things like that. And now with the Internet of Things and every device being connected, you know, their world has completely changed. It's not just this kind of siloed, like, hey, I'm going to hang out over here and quote unquote do technical stuff that nobody really understands. And as long as my email comes in, nobody really cares or has a big concern. What are you guys seeing as kind of some of those pain points? I mean, the cybersecurity, I'm sure, is is still a, a very real thing. But what does that mean for like patient experience? Like, what, where where are we seeing this evolve? You know, where, where I'm really seeing a lot a lot of this 
evolve into the patient experience is more so integrating clinical workflows into the technology paradigm. Really, the way that these electronic health record systems are created today, it's really a table of contents for a hospital workflow. It walks you through end-to-end you know, the process for how you're going to care for a patient within a particular specialty. I mean, every little piece of the, uh, the patient workflow is defined, documented, and designed within these particular EHR systems. So there's such a large focus on the technicians that are providing the support to have that direct relationship with the clinicians that are providing that support to ensure that that technology is actually providing them exactly what they need. You know, at the same point, I would just say it's a lot of it's the, uh, you know, integration work that happens between the different applications. Everything talks to each other these days. I was actually in a pre-op procedure earlier this morning. So it's funny that we're talking about the patient experience because I was just there and I just went through it myself. I, I got a call from the anesthesiologist, asked me a bunch of questions about my patient history, about my, you know, medication records, my medication, uh, you know, any, if I was allergic to anything, just kind of preparing for this uh, procedure that's upcoming. So I run through that and then, the, you know, about an hour later, I'm talking to the nurse and I'm getting asked the exact same questions. It's that type of thing. And when I kind of ask, she goes, I know I just asked this, but our two systems today don't talk to each other. So when we talk patient experience, I mean, it's really creating that capability to have almost like your own PHR or personal health record that really carries with you from entity to entity. And I think that's that's going to be a really important part of the digital transformation that occurs to improve upon not only what a patient feels when they're walking in through a hospital, but also the end results that happen through having consistent information from application to application. You know, we as consumers are are looking for simplicity, right? We're looking for somebody to kind of streamline a lot of this because we're so used to this in, in the rest of our lives. I go into the Nike app and buy my son a pair of shoes for Christmas and like I can just click a button to pay with Apple Pay and I'm not having to fill in my address and that level of friction like what you're talking about I think is is going to uh, number one it allows uh, disruption in the industry which is not a bad thing necessarily but you know if you're a hospital it's going to start nibbling away at these you know higher margin service lines or going outside the hospital walls into the ambulatory setting things like that I know you guys help with a lot of different things, but when you're looking at, you know, especially uh, optimization, even training and staffing and things like that, what is your advice to hospitals? Where a lot of my focus is, and I remember I'm overseeing the level one, our level one support operation. We don't get the calls for, hey, I want to digitally transform, you know, how 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 my department runs. We get the things are broken. A lot of what I see, a lot of some of the biggest challenges that I see from that first level perspective is identifying appropriate access points for all the clinicians, all the providers with their different specialties within those particular applications. To me, that's probably runs about 15 to 20% of the challenges that we're at where a physician clinician doesn't have the right permissions to do what they need to do in order to provide the care they need to provide. But there's a lot of points of failure to get to that one point for that for that physician, whether it's the way that he or she is onboarded into the HR platform, getting the right credentialing that's done off the credentialing office, and then it goes into the IT person responsible for requesting that particular access and ensuring that you know it goes to so many different tech groups creating those different access points. If you're able to do that efficiently, I really think that 
you would be able to mitigate, you know, 20, like I said, 20% of your overall problems or work stoppages that happen that we receive on the front end. We've seen advancements in technology, which is great, but that doesn't jive with the way that we've operated historically. So it's like people don't even know to look for like these permissions, you know, or when, when they're onboarding or in the credentialing. I mean, even, you know, we look at credentialing on the marketing side is like we're putting a physician directory on a website or something like that. And so you think, well, let's just get with the medical staff office, pull the list from the credentialing software. And they're like, oh yeah, but that's, it's probably not correct. Like, how, how is that not, how is that not correct? It, we're finding these pain points now because the consumer is forcing us into these models. Well, in a world where hospitals are acquiring and divesting and acquiring and divesting, I mean, you're looking at uh, multiple systems that are being used by different areas before you can get into one enterprise system. So all of those different areas create so many different challenges. And, you know, we keep talking, pushing forward with new technology and you know, digital transformation, but I, I really think everybody needs to focus on core business. Your basic process business that that, that gets you running and, and these transformations, they need to be enhancements. They need to, you know, rather than a barrier to the next step. So, you know, I think that's that's something, if you're focusing on that core process, your core business, getting your security right, doing your EHR training, you know, that was the other thing that I definitely wanted to mention. Roughly, if you're looking at an overall incident type volume, call type volume, about 20 to 25% of your overall issues are in relation to the primary EHR, whether it be Meditech, Epic, CERN, or Allscripts, you know, you name it. You know, if you take that whole 25%, more than half are related to training and workflow challenges that, that are brought up through the clinician, front desk staff, whoever that may be that just isn't utilizing the system in the way that it was originally designed. You know, anybody who had the ability to make the change to really focus on clinician and end user training and making sure that you're not just training on system workflow, but you're training on the system capabilities, you're training on the workflows of those different specialties and how they're going to interact with each of those systems. I've heard a lot of physicians, especially some that are, that are a little further along in their career, it's like, I'm not doing this. I can remember even working when, when I worked at a hospital a million years ago. Uh, our director of pharmacy was like the only director of pharmacy that the hospital had ever had, right? They, they'd hired him in like 1969, the year before the hospital opened. And I remember him saying to me, next time we change computer systems, I'm out. Like, I'm retiring. Are we hearing some of that? I mean, is there, is there, fr- is there friction even on the like, look, I get it, but I just don't want to do it side of the equation? Not as much as I would say I've seen in the past. Where I see the frustrations uh, are more so on uh, within organizations that might be changing their strategy and they're jumping from one EHR to the next and it's requiring uh, you know a, an entire change in the way that they're doing things. Or what I mentioned earlier in a merger and acquisition, you know you get acquired and then you have to adopt that you know acquiring hospitals, technology, infrastructure, enterprise workflows, those types of areas. It's a frustration point, especially, when we've been dealing with a pandemic for the last, you know, year and a half or so, where all physicians, clinicians, providers, all they want to do is care for the patient. And then these technology initiatives tend to feel like they're getting in the way. I want to change gears just a little bit and talk about the patient portal. I, you know, this is something we've said the word patient portal for years. I know they've, you know, the popularity, certainly this is where we're trying to drive everybody. And it maybe is 
the next, be, the next best action or the primary call to action for a lot of marketing campaigns and things like that. Is the struggle getting people to literally sign up or is it to get them back the second time? Is it, is it an adoption thing or a utilization? I think it's a little bit of both. I think the adoption at this point, I think we're past that true challenge. I think it's, it's more in the retention space. It's, you know, creating the usability uh, within the portal to get you really to satisfy uh, you know a patient's needs. Having said that, I think the new features that are being put out in these patient portals today are really going to revolutionize the way that people use it. And I think it puts so much more power into the hands of that end user to ha- where they own and hold that clinical knowledge so that they can make the best you know best decisions for themselves either in the the, the short term or the or, or the the far term. And I think if you look today at what what can be done in a patient portal and we compared it to what we saw 10 years ago, it's almost unthinkable. I mean, you're able to schedule appointments directly with your provider, send them a message to ask a particular question. You can you know, request refills on your medication, pay a bill, all of these different areas, even download your chart to take it somewhere else. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing what you're able to see and, and you know, just kind of flexing a little bit into the telehealth space. Most telehealth visits today are initiated through a patient accessing that patient portal. It's not only a place where patient portal is a place to go to review your information, you're actually going there to initiate clinical care one way or another. And I think that's going to be really the bang for the buck that the patient sees and that they're able to feel, sense, and quantify when when using this type of software. You know, between that and, you know, everybody whether you're traveling or just recently got tested, you're accessing your test results via your patient portal with COVID, which is such a big thing these days. We've seen our volumes and patient portal increase roughly 25 to 30% since the beginning of the pandemic, and it's only growing. Along those lines, you know, we talk a lot about health disparities and, you know, kind of what that means for folks. And some of it is the lack of broadband, right? Like just the ability to access uh, internet in some cases. You know, I know you guys kind of fill that void a little bit, the human interaction and some of those types of things. How, how important is that to, to make sure that, you know, as an organization that you've got the ability you know, you're not just driving people to a digital portal that you've got a, you know, human connection in place as well. I mean, and, and that's a, a very real challenge, especially as a lot of our customers are in rural type areas where broadband is a, is a real is a real challenge. That human interaction, I think, is so important to speak to what we do. Every single analyst on our help desk from top to bottom, they all are required to help support patient portal experience. And one of the reasons why why we require something like that on our end is, is we truly feel that if you're the first point of contact to a patient, you're connected to that patient care. You are now partially responsible for that patient care experience that we were just talking about earlier. And it really helps, you know, somebody that's sitting behind a computer, maybe resetting a password, maybe, you know, helping troubleshoot an Internet connection. It helps them feel like they're uh, connected to the purpose. And, and that's, that's a real important thing for us. When you're talking to a distressed patient on the other end of the phone who might be looking for a lab result or truly has you know, valid concerns about their care, it's, it gives our entire desk empathy. It really helps connect us to our mission, what we're here to do. So there's a lot of organizations out there, certainly, that as in anything, maybe they have more staff than some others or they've, you know, they're resourced a little differently, but you, know, you guys come in and actually kind of provide that supplemental help or even just kind of holistically, 
you know, and that, and that could be things like we've mentioned, like the help desk or, you know, monitoring the network or asset management, you know, reporting, things like that. When people are looking for a partner, what do you recommend? I think the first and foremost thing is transparency. You need to find a partner that's going to tell you exactly how it is. When it comes to help desk specifically, you have a myriad of data that's there that nobody else in the entire organization sees. Think about that for a second. Every single problem that is brought up by a clinician or an employee of a hospital calls into the service desk. So by that, just by that way alone, you're getting all, you're essentially getting every complaint that comes into the hospital from an IT perspective. As long as you're able to build that into, into data that can tell a particular story, it's not just what is the help desk performance when you're looking at you know, key KPIs like the abandonment rate or the time to answer or how much are they resolving issues, but you get so much more data that says what's going on with your hospital system that you can drive through improvements to prevent the complaint from happening in the first place. When people think IT, the first thing that comes to mind is the help desk because that's who they return to. So oftentimes you hear IT, you know, IT sucks or it's the non-help desk or it's something along those lines. In reality of the situation, you got to look at the whole paradigm of the IT incident lifecycle. You know, just because, you know, there might be a, a, the perfect call, the perfect interaction that occurs with that front end user for a problem that they just don't have the ability nor the access, should they, to resolve. If that incident gets out, gets paged out, you talk to the, you know, you talk to the technician, but it takes three weeks, four weeks to resolve something with that type of high criticality, you have a problem there. And the perception of the end user is I called somebody, I didn't get the help that I needed. But in reality, you're having so much data that's out there, you're able to show, you know, let me show you the tickets that are aging by a particular support group. Maybe you have uh, a deficiency in a process or not enough staff to handle, you know, the workload, which is a very real problem that we're having in, in, in healthcare today. When you're dealing with patient lives, those extra minutes, those extra hours, those extra days, those add up. So I think, you know, that the, having the data behind it, uh, the transparency to tell you exactly how it is. We had a customer where roughly, doing the math in my head right now, about 7 to 8% of their, their call volume on a month-over-month basis was related to particular problems with desktop encryptions. And we're seeing the same problems over and over again. And it was something that the help desk was resolving. We were helping, we were resolving those issues that actually made our stats look pretty good. But at the same time, we're seeing, you know, frustrated end users every Monday or every Wednesday or every time there's a, you know, a system upgrade where they're rebooting a PC, where they're calling in and they can't get started on the work that they're having. We worked with, well, we partnered with the organization. We've really stepped them through the problems. They were able to identify what the root cause was, make system configuration changes, and pretty much the next month after a lot of those changes were made, that 8% of issues went down to about a quarter of a percent. So you're talking about complete issue elimination proactively to, to really you know um, get this, these organizations working as well at old machines. It's funny, we, we, we've started doing some of that in recent years as we think about consumers telling us how we're doing, right? With like online ratings and reviews and things like that. We're aggregating that information. There's employee service, annual employee surveys, things like that. I don't know, honestly, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking, but I don't know, honestly, that, that a lot of organizations are, are maybe taking that help desk information and looking at you know, what are the common issues? What are we hearing? Is it, to your point, is it with certain teams or certain parts of the organization? Or, well, you know, as people are sitting here and kind of listening and, and, and following along, this, this could be a new concept. I don't know this idea of, you know, kind of having a, a partner, if you will, on the tech side of the equation. 
you know, what, what are some things that they could do? Is there something out there, a conversation they could go have, something like that, that is a good place for them to start within their organization if they think uh, there may be an opportunity around this? First and foremost, I would say our, our, our Seracore website, we have uh, several different publications that are out there. Um, you know, we have an ebook specifically that talks about what metrics may be important to study from a service desk perspective so that you can really truly gauge the customer satisfaction and how they feel with IT. At the same time, there's a couple of other white papers that out there that, that talk about what we could do from you know, a patient portal support model, a staffing model, or any of the other services that we could provide. You know, if people want to reach out, uh, want to connect, uh, what, what's a great way for them to do that if they've got additional questions? Yeah, if they have additional questions, uh, you know, we do have uh, on the website, we have places that you can submit su- suggestions and we'll have there. But, you know, my personal email, you know, Christopher.Wickersham at Saracord.net. I'm, I'm more than happy to have this conversation. I think you can see the passion as I, I continue to talk a little bit faster and a little bit louder, the more that we, the more that we go. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, that would be a good way to get started. Awesome. We'll, we'll make sure to link all that in the show notes. Again, Chris uh, Wickersham, Saracord's the company, man. Thanks again for coming on and uh, look forward to having you back in the future. It's been a pleasure, Reed. Thank you much. All right, special thanks to Chris for coming on the show. Certainly appreciate the opportunity to visit and uh, learn a little bit more about kind of how they think about customer operations, certainly, you know, how they add to that equation, but also kind of what they're seeing, marketing conditions, things like that. So great to have him on and look forward to having them back in the future. Again, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to listen or stream. Certainly the number one way people still find out about us. Also want to give a quick plug. We've got our end of the season, end of the year episodes coming up. Mm-hmm. If everybody remembers, we will uh, certainly have a best of the network, which is great. And we'll hear a little bit from each of the shows. But we also have our best of awards. And so we'll have put together a, uh, a survey like in years past. Would love your feedback. Again, we'll have the link in the show notes. Chris and I will be promoting it on LinkedIn and, and Twitter and all that kind of fun stuff. So we won't take but a couple of seconds and would love to have your input on uh, awards we give out at the end of the year. Absolutely. It's so much fun to hear from you all and get your feedback and also get your, you know, your your votes on who your f- favorite guest was, your favorite cold opens, all of those things. So do take some time for us. We really appreciate it. And Reed and I read each and every one of the responses too. So we're excited to hear from That's you. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, let's do a couple of recommendations and then we'll uh, we'll call it a week. I'll read. I'll start. For, for those of you who may know me, you must, you probably know I'm a big Beatles fan. I'm a huge Beatles fan. I've always have been since a young age when my parents introduced me to them. And of course, I was so delighted when I heard over the Thanksgiving weekend that uh, Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings fame decided to edit down 160 hours of audio and video footage into a six-hour three-part series about the Beatles making of their Let It Be album, which is called Get Back. That's on Disney+. Plus. I, of course, spent the time over the weekend. It's, it was over three segments, so it's about six hours total. And it was just fascinating to watch the Beatles record one of their albums. I mean, the premise is they got together to record 14 songs in two weeks to do a live performance. And watching how... That whole thing kind of evolved. Spoiler alert, their live performance changed and where they ended up on the very famous uh, 
rooftop where they played in the middle of London, you know, at a certain point in time. And it was like really fascinating. But anyway, and just also watching the, the songs come to life, spark to life, watching Paul McCartney where he's with his bass and he's just kind of like strumming along and you watch as the song get back springs to life right there in front of you you know he's he's strumming it and then all of a sudden ringo's on drums george is on the guitar and then all of a sudden the song comes into play and you're just like being able to watch that it's just fascinating thoroughly enjoyed it if you're a beatles fan or not take some time watch the get back three-part series on disney plus i can strongly recommend it and by the way they released a new recording on that's available on all the streaming services of the Let It Be album, re-engineered for this uh, release. And there's a supplementary book as well. So you better believe that's on my Christmas list this year. That's my recommendation. That's oh, really good. That's good. I like that. I'm also going to recommend a TV show and or series, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Chris, did you watch the TV show Dexter? Oh, yeah. Dexter. So there is a new season. It's got a little bit of a different name. It's actually called Dexter New Blood. But if you remember, people were somewhat unhappy because it's been some years since that went off the air. They weren't thrilled with how the show ended. And it was on for like seven or eight seasons or something like mm-hmm. that. It was a, it a, was a long, long running series, show, yeah. kind of the Sopranos or one of those. I mean, there's some, some seasons involved. And so you get to the end of that and you're like, really? You know, kind of a thing. Well... The folks over at Dexter, Showtime, whatever, uh, heard everybody. And so they made this new season. And uh, I don't know if it's just going to be the one or if there's multiple ones, but I've just started it. And I won't spoil it. I mean, I guess you could start with this versus watching the original Dexter. But it kind of picks up where that one ended. And uh, so it's kind of interesting. So if you're a fan of the show, uh, I'd kind of forgotten they'd come out with this new this new season. So I'm looking forward to kind of binge watching it over maybe over the holidays or something like that. But uh, yeah, Dexter, New Blood. Good quality uh, TV to watch over the holiday weekend yep. with your Serial family, killer right? stuff. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, perfect. So anyway. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We certainly appreciate it as we as we get towards the end of 2021. I feel like we just did this uh, for 2020, but we're almost here to the end of 2021. Uh, we we certainly appreciate all the support, uh, both for our show and for the network. Again, touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe. Certainly, the most flattering thing you can do is is recommend this show to a friend uh, or colleague. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Twitter, LinkedIn is probably the best way to track us down and look for that. uh, Look for the link for the survey. And we would certainly appreciate that. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.